As we begin our fall sermon series, I invite you to open to Mark's Gospel, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 836, page 836, Mark 1, verses 14 to 20. Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at passages in all four Gospels uh, as we see how Jesus uh, called us and calls people to follow him on this ultimate adventure. Then we're going to have uh, Christmas time, a, a different series. And I think now the plan will be uh, in the new year to come back to Mark's gospel, pick it up at Mark 1, verse 21, and go straight through uh, the rest of the gospel of Mark beginning in, in the new year. You can read the gospel of Mark in about a two-hour sitting, so I would encourage you uh, to do that sometime this fall. Listen now to God's word, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark 1, verses 14 to 20. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired, hand, hired servants, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It started when Jesus called a few fishermen to follow him. That's how it all began. Now, people have talked about what, what happened on the banks of the Jordan when John the Baptist saw Jesus come forth and and how petrified John was. They'd never seen him react that way, but that Jesus had been baptized by, the, by, by John the Baptist. And that how he, he then merely ran off into the wilderness. He disappeared for weeks, returning only after uh, the arrest of the Baptist. But when he returned, he began to preach publicly, and there was such a power such an authority in in the words of this young rabbi that that people began to talk and wonder where he received such power and authority to preach this way like none other. Follow me. Little did these fishermen know that this invitation, this command to embark on the ultimate adventure would spark the beginning of, of a revolution. This was Jesus' strategy. He wasn't interested in getting a, a ton of people on board to join a program. He wanted in his company a few hand-picked men whom one day would lead tens of thousands. A few enlisted men, misfits. Now, people had far worse things to call them than that, much more salty language than misfit. Uneducated, coming from a whole array of of social backgrounds, fishermen, sure, but a tax collector, 
even a, a, a left-wing zealot. They were, they were all joined together in this band of followers of Jesus. This was his method of winning the world to God's kingdom. Men and women, too, who could bear witness to the life and the ministry and the work of Jesus once he had gone back to the Father in heaven. This is how it all began. First it was Peter and Andrew, then John and his brother James, then Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus. Why don't we name kids Thaddeus anymore? That's a great name. Or, or Bart. That's a, that's a terrific name. Simon, Judas, Iscariot. Maybe we won't. Maybe we need another millennia to get used to that name again. These were the twelve. Not only did they follow Jesus, they, they practically lived with him 24-7. They, they, they ate with him. They, they went on journeys with him. They sat under his teaching. They got in trouble with him. They saw him walk into dangerous situations. They were a small band of disciples, student followers of Jesus of Nazareth, who were destined to become leaders of his church, who within a few decades would take this gospel message, message to all the known world. But the significance of this first act of obedience, follow me, would be felt for two millennia and on into eternity. Only Jesus, the, the, the Christ, could see their potential that first day on the shore. Uh, concentrate on a few, pour love and truth into them, and take them on an adventure that they couldn't possibly dream of. Transform this, this small group of people. That was his plan. But the method began here in Mark 1, verse 15. A, a message proclaimed to the crowds. After John the Baptist was arrested, so we, we sense that there's this is a dangerous time. He goes forward to proclaim the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now Jesus' message here holds within it the, the kernel of what we would today call the gospel. It, the kernel is there, but, but not in its entirety. Now, we see that as it unfolds throughout uh, the, the New Testament. We, you can think of uh, Paul and Silas in the prison when their chains fell off and the, the prison guard is petrified, wondering, what, what will I do now? How will I be saved? And they say to him in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. But the people didn't know the full message. The disciples didn't know the full message. They didn't know that they were disciples. They didn't know what they were signing up for. These fishermen did not get the full implications of Jesus' message, but they got enough. They got that the times had to change, and that change was coming, but they did not know that God's ultimate timetable was coming forth. And what of God's kingdom? They knew that something needed to change with, with Rome controlling their nation and, and the people being oppressed. But they did not know that God's rule being ushered in 
through Jesus was to be a rule over the nations and a restoration of all of creation. How could they have known that? Let alone would they possibly have known how far they would travel for the sake of the kingdom. How could John have known at this time that he would one day be the bishop of Ephesus? Or that Peter would one day travel as far as Rome? Or that James would be the head of the church in Jerusalem, the center of his people's world in Jerusalem? How could Andrew have known that he would go as far as the borders of Russia one day at the command of Jesus to follow him? But I think there's at least one part of Jesus' message that these fishermen got immediately. It's a part of his message that whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you've ever gone to church or not, anyone and everyone in this world can get this part of the message. That things aren't right. That something is amiss. That the world isn't working the way it's supposed to be. And that there's something within each of us that needs to be mended and set right again. I believe these simple fishermen knew that they were sinners in need of repentance. In need of of getting their life right and back in order before God. That was John's message, the Baptist. That's basically what he said over and over again. Now today, Jesus' gospel is is often edited. This pesky word of, of repent is usually the first to be deleted. But to repent is a very biblical, a very Jesus thing to command. To, to turn from your sin, to, to plead God's forgiveness, to change your ways, a, a supernatural change in behavior, a change in mindset, a, a change of our life, a change of our priorities. Whenever we have a new member's uh, uh, gathered here or, or, or a baptism, we ask this question, do you turn from those old ways, those old dead ways, and turn to Jesus? It always begins with a calling of repentance. And I think these disciples, these fishermen, that's one part that rang true to them and clear. When Jesus said, follow me, they knew that it meant changing their lives and their priorities. And in their case, it meant leaving behind what they knew and moving towards something they'd never seen before. I love Vincent's definition. Did anyone write that down? I wish I had recorded that. Here's what I say a disciple is. A disciple is a person who responds in faith and obedience to the call of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of following Jesus of allowing his spirit to to come alive within us. And that starts with biblical repentance, of changing your mind from rejecting Christ to following Christ. That's where it begins. These fishermen got it. They had had to reprioritize. They, They had to start a new kind of work. In their case, it meant leaving their trade and and their families, at least for a time, to follow him. They embarked on the ultimate adventure where their understanding of of the times and the world around them 
would expand big time. I've seen new disciples come to faith. It's one of the most beautiful things to behold, to see someone turn from their old life of sin and leave that old dead life and come and be born again into new life in Christ. In, in every instance, there is and has been a, a, a sense of joy, a sense of relief. You ever walk in after you've gone to the supermarket, you've got a load of groceries and you set them down and just, whew, there's a relief. There, there, there's a joy. Sometimes there's a bit of bewilderment. Like, what, what did I do? I'm a little embarrassed. What, did, did, did this just happen? But in every instance, when I've seen a person born again, they are happier. They're happier. In some instances, I've actually have seen people that, that look older than their, than their years. They all of a sudden look younger. I'm not talking Benjamin Button, but I don't know what happens. They just, they're, they're lighter. As many times as I've seen that, and I've seen it here at Nielsville, I've seen it in Minneapolis, I bear witness to it in, in Los Angeles and in, in uh, the Bay Area, California, I have also seen, I'm looking out the room of people I love, people ha who haven't had necessarily a dramatic flip-the-switch transformation, but people who are pursuing Christ. There were the changes that in are incremental. Change in an attitude, a, a response to a, a situation less angry, less con confrontational. Those are things that are working on in, in, in me. Becoming more patient. I, I pray, Lord, that I'm becoming a more patient husband and, and father. And that's a process. In every instance, though, whether it's a dramatic uh, born-again experience or, or someone who's, who's just day by day trying to trust the Lord, in every instance, all of us know that are following Jesus, there are ups and downs, right? There are setbacks and struggles. There are hardships. There are doubts. There are ways that God uses people that are still broken and incomplete like me and like you in incredible ways, coming into someone else's life who's also broken and also hurting and being an instrument of God's grace. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. These four fishermen uh, were called to to follow Jesus and to become fishers of men, to bring more people than they could possibly dream of into the kingdom. The reality is, if you say today, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, then you have been recruited into the same purpose, to be a fisher of men and women. Are you moving forward? Are you hearing his call today to move forward? Are you holding back? It's one thing to come to church. It's another to follow Jesus Monday through Saturday on mission for God's kingdom. And, and what we want to do this fall season and through the school year is, is to make it simple and clear of how to get engaged in the discipleship process wherever you are to grow in your relationship with God, to, to worship God, to grow, and to go and serve Christ in your world. And then we'll come back every Sunday 
And we're going to celebrate. We're going to have more and more testimonies. People come in sharing about life change. People coming to share how they were used of God to see his kingdom come forth. That call starts today. September 13th, 2015. There's one word I'd like you to, to note. Look again at the passage here. And maybe if you have your own Bibles, you could underline it. Uh, it's throughout Mark's gospel. It's this word, immediately. Do you see that there? In verse 18 and verse 20? It's actually throughout the gospel. It occurs 34 times. By the way, there are 42 miracles in the gospel of, of Mark. The shortest of the gospels. The most simple of Greek. That's why that's what I studied in seminary. I'll, I'll study Mark. Thank you. It's simple. 42 miracles, and 34 times Mark uses the word that's translated immediately. Immediately they moved, or immediately Jesus moved on. These first disciples heard Jesus say, follow me, and immediately they got up and followed him. How many times did they hear him preach? I don't know. It's not always... uh, an immediate following, sometimes it takes years. But what's true for all of us today, right here, right now, is the immediacy of Jesus calling on you. He's calling you right now. Your mind's running, like, what's he talking about? What's happening? Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is speaking to you right now and saying, follow me. He's calling you, he's calling us to get up out of our seats and to move ahead. Stay seated, hold on, hold on. And to get engaged with the work of his kingdom. There is a real sense, a rising sense of urgency. That now is the time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up. Have you responded to Jesus' calling to follow him? To be a disciple. How is he calling you right now? What is he calling you to to drop, to leave behind? Or, Or perhaps how is he saying, stay right where you are, in that job, in that situation. That's your assignment to bear witness to me and my grace. We're called together like the pairs of brothers. We're all called together as a family to follow Jesus right where we live and to be shaped together by his radical calling. And so the elders and the staff and the pastors are asking questions like, does our worship, does our our ministries, the way we connect with one another, do these things serve the ultimate purpose of being disciples and making disciples? We're going to enjoy smoked meats this afternoon. Is that a way of, of encouraging one another uh, in, in following Jesus, and we say amen. Smoked meats and, and hanging out together, that's one way that we do that. But we make sure that that's the priority. But church, let me ask you this final question. Are we as a church a radiant expression of God's love to a broken world? Are we a radiant expression of God's love to a broken world? Are we the best perfect apologetic 
that Jesus Christ is alive and ruling over his church and over all of the world? I'll leave you with that question. Let's bring it before the Lord. Lord God, does our church, do I personally, radiate as an expression of your love to a broken world? Are we walking the walk, Lord, or are we just talking the talk? Oh, Lord, you call us, and sometimes we, we duck under the table, hoping that you won't notice us when you've walked into our, our lives. Lord, sometimes we, we, we complain that we're too busy to be bothered at this moment, and yet you keep calling us and calling us. Sometimes, Lord, we just say, no, I've had enough. We know that you're expecting us to respond by faith. But we often forget that you are calling us not to uh, some incredible mission beyond our capabilities or understanding. You're calling us to do the next thing, the right thing, in order to grow more mature as disciples, to count the cost, and to go forth to serve. So Lord, give us your grace to say yes to your calling this day. Renew our trust in you. Help us, Lord. to use this time together on Sunday mornings to deepen our relationship with you and with one another, to realign our priorities before you. And Lord, speak into us, Lord. Renew our minds. Help us to grasp the heights of your plans for us, that by grace we will stand on your promises and walk by faith. May that begin today, this very hour. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please stay seated as we sing, Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. 
cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. Friends, let's stand for this last stanza. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace will stand on your promises. And by faith will walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Please be seated and let's pray. Lord, continue to speak, and you have spoken. Lord, we turn to you now, time of prayer, confession, uh, intercession. We know, Lord, that you call us to, uh, to lift up the prayers and that the prayers of, of righteous people are powerful.